Good morning. I'm glad that you are here to worship with us this morning. It looks like a little bit fewer people than we've had, maybe because of the holiday weekend. But nevertheless, uh, it is good to be with you to worship. We are here this morning to worship a living God, a powerful God. And as we come into this room, I recognize that there are likely many of you who, who might be distracted, who might have things going on outside of this room that are still in your mind, that are still playing through your head, things that were in your mind as you went to bed last night. Um, uh, it, I confess it's the same with me too. I'm thinking about things about this service. Will it all go right? Will it all go well? But that battle belongs to the Lord and he is powerful and he is worthy of giving it over to him. So I encourage you this morning as you stand to let these songs, to let these words, to let this time empower you to worship you, him and draw you to him even as we sing together. Let's go.
with us in our battles was there in the Old Testament. He was in the fire. He was in the waters. He was in the prisons. And we're going to sing a new song this morning for some of you uh, on this same theme. I invite you to, to listen, to hear it, and to sing with us as you learn it. There's a grace when the heart is under fire Another way when the walls are closing in And when I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning I know I will never be
great God, you are worthy of worship and our trust because you are present and you are powerful over all things. And we worship you in this time in the name of Jesus, the only name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, good morning, Cypress Bible Church. How are y'all doing today? It is a pleasure and a privilege to be able to worship with you all today, whether here in person or whether you're watching online. And so, welcome. We pray that your encounter with God today is super encouraging. Last Sunday, we had our first ever family night out, and it was a grand time where families got to get together. That's right. It was a great time. Clap it up. Um, we got to spend together uh, time together talking about facing our giants, and not as individuals, but as a family unit, and that carries over to our church body. We face giants as well, and we fight them together as a church family. Two of the things that we covered in that, there are some initiatives that we want to do, and one of them is going to serve Cyprus immediately, and we are looking to raise or collect 270 crates of non-perishable goods to bless this local community. And so if you go out at the Go kiosk, we have a list of the things we are looking to collect. I believe we are already at about 35 crates. So I know we're going to smash 270. We just want you guys to come and help with that. In addition to collecting crates to serve Cyprus, we are also raising money to help purchase a van for the Simpson family, who are some missionaries that we support. Now, originally, the number that we were looking to raise was $6,000. That would help purchase half the van. And I think we should help purchase the entire van. And so the challenge that we gave last week and that I'm going to give to you all today is we want to raise $12,000 because not only will this van help serve when they go over to South Africa, but it will also relieve them the burden of how are we going to figure out how to raise the rest of this money. And so People might consider money to be a giant. It is not a giant. God is bigger than money. And so I am challenging all of us to help raise 12 Gs for the Simpson family. And we have uh, gas cans out there that you can put money in. We're going to have text to give. But let's raise this money and show how big of a God we truly do serve to everyone. So today is the 4th of July. It is the day we celebrate our freedom, and it is a great day for American history. But even more importantly, it gets me to think really about what is freedom and the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, because that is the most important freedom that we can have as followers of Jesus, freedom from death, freedom from the law, freedom from guilt and shame. And so as we continue to worship today, as we reflect, because it is a privilege to live in this country, but we want to reflect truly on how great of a God that we do serve, the freedom that we have gotten from Jesus Christ by being his followers. And right now I want to invite Pastor Evan Wepler to come up and give our children's message this morning. Thanks, Chang. Now, I'm so excited that we get to worship together, and I'm excited I get to say something that I haven't said since, I think, December 2019. Could I have any kids that would like to come down for the kids' message? Come on up so I'm not all by myself on the thrust. Yes, thank you. Any adults want to come on down? You come on down as well. So, all right, we got to get some kids out here. Oh, good. I see some friends coming and joining me. So as you guys are coming out, I have two fun things I want to share with you all. So as you're coming down, let me show you two things. I've got 
a fitness tracker. Who here uses a little fitness tracker, a little bands, track the number of steps they have? You guys just grab a seat down here. So who here's got a little fitness tracker? It's really cool because look, I can track how many steps I take. I just, you know, get a few steps in while I'm giving the message. Uh, but it's amazing what this little thing can do. It can get my heart rate and it can see uh, how much sleep I got. And so it's amazing what little things can do. Now, another fun gizmo I got recently was a phone. And you know, most phones these days are all about bigger and bigger. And I thought, what if I went the other way? And so you want to see my new phone? Look at this. It's called the Jelly Bean. And so this is an itty bitty little phone, but you know what? It can do all the same things that the big phones do. It can make calls, it can text, it can probably play games. Uh, and so it's amazing what little things can do. Now, can you guys tell me what are some other little things that can do big things? Little things that can make a big impact. What do you all think of? What are some important little things that we need to think about? What do you all think? Should we get some help from the adults? What do you all think? What are some little things that can do big things? Y'all are about to use some if you're going to light some fireworks. What do you need to light a firework? A little flame. What else do you need? What are some little things that can do big things? Ladybug fireworks? Whoa, that's awesome. Oh, they can make a big spark. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. That's pretty cool. Any other little things? People. People can make a big difference. Even little people. Even people sitting here on this stage right here. Do y'all, sometimes people might look down on you because you're, you're shorter or smaller, but you guys can do big things as well. There's some people that made big impacts on the world. People that you might recognize, like who's on the quarter? George Washington. Who's on the penny? Abraham Lincoln, who's on the dime? Anybody know? Roosevelt, but I don't have a, does anyone have a nickel? I don't have a nickel. Anybody got a nickel? Who's on the nickel? Do y'all know? Thomas Jefferson, you're right. And those guys did small acts of bravery to help bring about freedom. And you know, we all can do small things to help others. As we're looking in our book of the Bible today in 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking about how there were problems, there were situations where people needed to step up and do something. And one of the things that he said people needed to do was to give. You see, it's amazing what a quarter, a dime, a penny can do. Imagine if we all gave to those projects that Mr. Chang was talking about. If we all did those little things, if we all gave a little bit, God can take the little that we give and he can do big things with it. What's the story that we talked about at Facing the Giants last week? Who was the hero that we were talking about that faced a giant? David. Now, David was a small guy, but he faced Goliath. And God worked through David. And just like that, God can work through us when we have tough situations. Well, there's always something you can do when there's a tough situation, when people are facing troubles. You can give. You can help people. There's a small thing you can always do if people are in trouble. You know what you can do? You can show love. You can give a smile. You can lift and support people. Paul talked about how Timothy was coming to the Corinthians, and he said, hey, don't look down on Timothy, because he was younger. So we all can do something. We can help. We can give. And what's one more thing that we can do when tough things happen? What do you all think? What am I doing with my hands? 
We can pray. Thanks, Amelia. So we can always pray when there's tough things happening. With these projects we're doing, when we hear about bad things in the world going on, we can pray. So I think, let's go ahead and pray. Let's talk to God. Dear God, thank you so much for this time that we can celebrate and worship you. Thank you for these kids and the way that you can work through them to do big things. We know it's not our own strength or our own abilities, but you working through us. God, I just pray that we can use the small gifts, the small steps of faith that we take um, and do it for you. So God, work through us, work through our gifts, work through the small time we get to spend together. And I pray that you send us out so that we can do big things for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for coming up here today. Y'all can go back to your seats. We're going to continue worshiping this morning, seeing Jesus paid it all.
beautiful name to praise, to sing about. We're going to continue with one more song this morning. And I think you know. Let's sing this hymn together. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bowed and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance by heavy stone, Messiah still, and all Here it is.
because you are worthy, you alone. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and sing and worship. Amen. Thank you. Y'all may be seated. One of the ways that we praise the name of the Lord is to look into His Word, to study His Word. And this morning, uh, we begin the last chapter of 1 Corinthians. This New Testament letter was written by a founding pastor to correct confusion in the church that he planted in the city of Corinth. This is the Word of God, and it's uh, relevant to this church today in this place and time as well. We spent several weeks studying chapter 15, the second to last chapter. And uh, chapter 15 is filled with dramatic truth about the resurrection. uh, As uh, Chang mentioned, uh, today being July 4th, uh, there will be undoubtedly a lot of fireworks tonight. I don't know about your neighborhood, but in my neighborhood there have been some fireworks for the last several nights, getting warmed up. Maybe it was Chang over there. I don't know. He's not too far from me. But uh, if you go to a a real fireworks uh, presentation, at the end there's going to be a finale, right? Every single one of them where they save up all the the, the lights and and the noise for an end display and boom, and then it's over. And everyone picks up their lawn chair and finds their way to their car and goes home. Well, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is the finale of the fireworks show. And chapter 16 is where you fold up your chair and go home. It takes a very sharp turn, chapter 16 does, from the resurrection to talk about the collection. The resurrection, the grand finale, and then we we come to some very practical matters that Paul addresses in these uh, final words in chapter 16. And uh, he begins with the, the Greek phrase peri-day, which is translated now concerning, or now about. And each time Paul has used this letter, this, this uh, phrase rather, in his letter, it marks a new section it, it, where he's responding to a question that the Corinthians had asked. And uh, in answering these questions, particularly now as we come to chapter 16, Paul gives some very everyday practical insights about the church. And so this week, and next week, Lord willing, uh, I want to point out some characteristics of community from this chapter. So here is how we live together as the body of Christ, some, some very practical ways. These are traits and qualities that should be true of every church of the living God as we serve Him in this world. And today we're going to talk about two characteristics uh, in these first 11 verses of chapter 16, giving and helping. Now, giving is going to be a very specific kind of giving. And helping is going to be a very specific kind of helping. But if you don't have these characteristics in a community of faith, then that's not a true body of Christ in that sense. This is truly how followers of Jesus act in community. There's giving and helping. There's two of the the first characteristics that we'll study uh, over these next two weeks. So first of all, let's start with giving. Giving. Verse 1. Now concerning, there it is, the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so you also are to do. 
On the very first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. When I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you choose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate for me also to go along, then we can travel together. So you need to understand that the Christians in Jerusalem are struggling. Uh, They're being persecuted. They're experiencing famine. That area of the world was under famine. And they were impoverished, these Christians. Now the two cities are over 800 miles apart. Uh, even over 700 miles apart, going by sea. And, and so it's a significant journey by land or by sea. And the churches, there's probably not anyone there who personally knows somebody else in one of these churches. And yet the Corinthians had already decided to help out the Jerusalem church, their brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling. And so their questions, Paul's answering a question, their question is not what to do, their question is how do we do it? How do we collect the money? And how do we make sure the right people get the money? Those are the questions. So Paul answers with some clear guidelines about giving that we also need to hear. Now, before we go any further and looking at these specifically, let me tell you that giving is an essential part of Christianity. It is not an option. It's something that every follower of Jesus must do. Why? Well, as Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, freely you have received, freely give. So those of us who have received the gift of God that is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ, that trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection paid for our sin and brought us into the family of God, then those of us who have received that gift are to be givers as well. Grace has been poured out upon us through Jesus. The power of the resurrection flows through us, and so we give as well. Now, if you've not received that grace from the Lord, then by all means, do not give anything. Keep your money. Because giving gains you nothing with God in that sense. Giving is a response to the grace God has given you. And if you haven't received that grace, don't bother to give. You might as well just store up your treasure on earth because that's all you will ever have. But if uh, you put your trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for your salvation, then you are to give. And just a reminder here of some of the New Testament qualities for giving, that as Jesus followers, we're to give generously. We're to give to the poor. We're to give to other needy believers in particular. And I just uh, in no particular order some of the New Testament passages about this kind of giving, this generosity, caring for the poor, and especially for brothers and sisters in need. So there's a lot in the New Testament about believers responding in giving. Now in the Greco-Roman world, that's the world in which the Corinthians lived, the motivation to give was so that others would honor you. So you would give if somebody could give you something in return. Uh, If you gave charitably to the poor, what you expected in return was honor or your name on a plaque or something to recognize your generosity. But Paul uh, says, you know, this is not how the church operates. We're to give to people. He's encouraging them to give to people they've never even met to honor God and not themselves. Uh, Not to expect praise, but to give God praise. So in this passage, there are seven principles about giving that are just as relevant for us as they were for the Corinthians. I'm going to move through them quickly, but take them one at a time. Uh, First of all, to give consistently. 
Paul says the first day of every week. This, by the way, is an early indication that the church was now meeting on Sunday, uh, that they were celebrating now the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And this links together giving and corporate worship. Uh, It it is a regular, ongoing spiritual practice, and, and giving should be a consistent part of your worship to God. A second principle is inclusively. He says, each of you. So every believer is a steward of what God has given to you. And the act of giving is not left up to those who are wealthy, who have much to spare. Uh, we see just that great example of Jesus as he uh, sat by the temple and watched people giving. And uh, uh, he watched the rich throw in large amounts. But when this poor widow dropped in two very small copper coins, uh, Jesus pointed to her as the model for giving. She gave out of her poverty while the others gave out of their wealth. So this includes whatever your financial status, uh, Paul encourages giving. Third principle is deliberately. You put something aside. That takes intentionality. Uh, Random purposeless giving is not God's design. Uh, There's some calculation involved. There's some planning involved. It's not all of a sudden, oh, I'm going to do this. Not not that impulsively. But when, when each one contributes intentionally no matter how little the gift that gift represents the whole church that that's what uh, is happening as this gift is for the needy believers in jerusalem so as each one uh puts something aside they're able to contribute to the whole the fourth principle is carefully give carefully store it up paul says thesaurazon is the greek word where we get our word thesaurus and it's a it's a treasury here, a, a treasury where valuables are kept. And, and this word in the New Testament can sometimes be used to refer to selfish hoarding, but here it's a positive thing. Whatever you deliberately set aside in order to give to those in need, keep it. Be careful with it. Don't use it for anything else. Store it up. The fifth principle is proportionately, as he may prosper, Paul says. So this is not a call to sacrificial giving. This is to give from whatever success they've had in that week. Uh, However in what way God has blessed them at that time, give in that way. Since this is a gift for believers who are struggling and they're in another city, give out of whatever abundance God has blessed you with at this time. The sixth principle is freely. As Paul says, no collecting when I come. Make this happen before I get there. Uh, before he shows up in person, he wants this collected. Why? Well, this frees the church for them to give as prompted by God. And Paul's not going to know who gave. He's not going to know how much they gave. And he has no desire to put pressure on people to give. Uh, he doesn't want a hastily arranged fundraising campaign with a thermometer up. He doesn't want that. The New Testament giving that we see here doesn't resort to guilt and people, it doesn't resort to manipulation. It doesn't resort to schemes. In fact, Second Corinthians nine seven says we're, we're not to give reluctantly or in response to pressure, but cheerfully. So, I, and I would encourage you: don't give to any ministry, don't give to any organization that uses those kinds of tactics, uh, manipulations, uh, mail campaigns that frighten you. Uh, those kinds of things. That's not biblical in any way. Seventh principle is securely give securely he says messengers you choose are going to carry this money 
See, Paul puts safety measures in place. He's not saying, you know, when I come, give me the collection and I'll take it to Jerusalem. He doesn't want that kind of responsibility or, or how it might look a little shady. He says, you choose the people from your congregation to handle the money. Your own trusted couriers are going to be the ones who take it to Jerusalem. Now, this is important for several safety reasons. One is uh, you need a number of people because the, the, there would be robbers on the road and the practice in that day when you carried money might be to sew it up in the, in, in the clothing to keep the co- coins from clinking together or to have a bag uh, to otherwise hide it in some way. And, and so uh, Paul says, you get the group together that's going to take it. I will write letters of introduction for them because you're not known in Jerusalem and so uh, they'll, they'll know who you are. See, there are financial protocols in place. And I would say don't give to any ministry. Don't give to an organization that doesn't take such precautions, uh, that isn't financially open and careful. Uh, Just this week, I I signed an authorization that allowed our financial team at church here to wire transfer funds to uh, a missionary in another country. Uh, and uh, I don't have anything to do with the money. I, the only money I handle is the money that I give personally. Uh, but So I don't know any of that, but I am one of the controls. And the, and the, the document that I signed, it looked like it needed like eight signatures, and I was just one of those. There's protocols in place to make sure that uh, we are above board. So uh, th- that, uh, that kind of security was uh, in Paul's mind here. Overall, giving is a way to reflect the grace of, of the gospel. I, uh, there's a couple of uh, ancient church leaders, and I'm just going to quote one of them here, and he's not pictured in this picture. But Ambrose in fourth century said, there is your brother naked and crying, and you are confused over the choice of an attractive floor covering. I thought that was pretty convicting. Uh, that, that concern over our material goods and our um, wealth when others are struggling. Um, it uh, is a helpful thing. I, I read uh, an article this week that said how the, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. And the wicked are, are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. Who are you? Who am I? Are we the righteous? If so, we are willing to disadvantage ourselves for the sake of the community, followers of Jesus. So that's giving. That's an important concept. Let's now come to helping. It's a very intentional kind of helping. Verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing, I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work is opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with the brothers." So Amy and I are uh, traveling, uh, hopefully, Lord willing, to uh, New York State to see our families at some point this summer. Uh, Her parents, my mother, our siblings all live there, and I haven't seen my mother in far too long. 
Um, and I'm trying to plot that trip out right now, trying to figure out, okay, when can we leave? Uh, how long can we stay at each uh, parent's place and see them? And how's this all going to work and get back in time? Uh, all the rest of it. We're going to drive, and that's going to take a while, and, uh, and I don't drive all night as I used to. And so we have to figure all that out. Uh, when do we switch which house we go to? Because I, I, I want to tell uh, my mother and I want to tell my in-laws which day we intend to arrive and how long we plan to stay. And, and uh, I, if I get there at midnight, uh, my mother's going to want to have a hot meal ready. And so I need to tell her, she's watching right now, Mom, I don't need a hot meal at midnight. Some fresh cookies would be good. But other than that, we're fine. So, so to just let them know, okay, here's our plan. And of course, there's no absolute guarantee we're going to get there, right? All kinds of things could happen to keep that trip from transpiring. Well, that's basically Paul here sharing his travel plans. And they're not incredibly specific. He's a little generic here because this is what he hopes. This is what he intends. This is what he desires if the Lord allows, if the Lord permits it. Now, I want to draw your attention to the word I highlighted here twice. Um, it's translated help. Propempepo is the, the Greek word which, which means to provide what's needed. To provide with, the, the support that Paul needs uh, from them as he preached the gospel, as he planted churches throughout the Roman Empire, is what he's asking for here. He's not using them as a convenient stopover, even though he might have to stay all winter. Because remember, Corinth is an important port city. And sea travel would essentially be shut down during the winter because of storms, because of the longer nights, because of uncertain weather. Uh, navigation was difficult. And so he might be there all winter, but however long he stays, he will need their propempo, their help. That, meant, that, that word meant to equip travelers in whatever they needed for their journey. Whether it was clothing or food or traveling companions or supplies. But Paul isn't in Corinth just to gas up the chariot. He wants to spend significant time with them. Uh, he has to help, uh, he has, he has helped to give them himself on their spiritual journey. He wants to equip them as they grow to become more like Christ. And in the meantime, he says, I'm going to stay in Ephesus. Why? Because people are receptive to the good news there. Uh, but you notice he also says there's resistance. There's also, there are many adversaries. So why would there be adversaries? Wherever the gospel is preached, there will be opponents. Why? Because the gospel, at its base, calls us to reject all other gods. And those gods are many and varied in our lives. And every time I mention a, a list of gods, I get pushback from people. But here are just some of the many, many gods. The gods of materialism. The gods of family. The gods of personal ambition. The god of patriotism. The god of self-determination. The god of culture. The god of pleasure. The god of tradition, even religious tradition, are all threatened by the true gospel of Jesus. And uh, therefore, that's why Paul has many adversaries in Ephesus. And if you want to read, read about the chaos that he experienced on this uh, journey from the business community in particular, read Acts chapter 19, and it chronicles it very well. So uh, then I would just highlight the second half of the passage that I already read, because Paul uh, talks about Timothy. He says, I want you to welcome Timothy. Uh, don't give him any reason to be afraid. Uh, let him be a phobos, that is, without fear among you. Now, why does he have to say that to the Corinthians? What, why would the Corinthians cause Timothy to be afraid? How would they make him feel unwelcome? 
Well, let's think about it. Timothy was biracial, uh, but I don't think that would have been a problem at all for the, the, this church in Corinth. It, it might be that Timothy was still very young at this stage. Remember, Paul had already told uh, Timothy not to let anybody look down on him because of his youth. That's 1 Timothy 4.12. It's possible, though, that Paul was concerned that the church wouldn't take Timothy seriously, or, or maybe because of his lack of credentials. Because after all, the Corinthians prized philosophy and education and great intellect, which is why they had respect for Paul, because he had an incredible uh, pedigree. He had a long list of qualifications. Timothy had a much, much shorter resume. And so Paul urges them to respect Timothy anyway, to respect him. Why? Because, Paul says, he does the work of the Lord just like I do. By the way, respect for those who minister the gospel is part of what it means to help. You talk about helping as a church. Part of what that means is to respect those who minister the gospel. And Paul goes on to encourage the church to help Timothy prompeo, to equip him for his ministry journey, just as he equips you for your spiritual journey. See, there's some helping in both ways. Timothy and Paul are, are helping. They're prompeo. They're, they are equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And therefore, also the saints can help them as they go on their spiritual journey as well. Spread the good news. And that's what a community of believers does. We help each other in the service of the gospel. Uh, we equip and supply what's needed to further the kingdom. We spread the good news. Grow the church And so to put it in one sentence, to say being in community means you are giving and helping to spread the good news. That's the the first two characteristics of what it means to be in Christian community. There's some giving that takes place. There's some helping that takes place, all for the advancement of the gospel. And so let me ask some questions to bring this to conclusion here today, to help you apply. First of all, the most basic question, are you a follower of Jesus? That means, do you trust in Christ alone for salvation? His sacrificial death, burial, bodily resurrection are your only hope for forgiveness and new life and eternity. Are you a follower of Jesus? The other question is, are you connected to a local church, to a community? Uh, From our scripture this morning, here are two tests to see how connected you are. One, are you giving? Uh, recently, we had a collection for our brothers and sisters in India and Nepal who were devastated by the pandemic. And uh, that's very much like the collection that was happening in Corinth. Here are people that most of us will never see, but they're followers of Jesus and they're struggling uh, just uh, as Jerusalem was struggling. And uh, Paul takes a collection for them. Uh, and, and so we took a collection for our brothers and sisters there. Uh, as a church, we gave $16,000, and we have workers on the ground in those places who can get the resources to the people who need it most, to entrust that to them. There are safeguards there. And, and there are many ways to regularly contribute. Uh, we're, we already have mentioned a couple of those this morning, like the vehicle for our missionaries headed to South Africa, or for the regular work of the ministry that supports CBC ministry programs and personnel. If you are not worshiping with your money, you are worshiping your money. Those are the two choices. And as a follower of Jesus, that's the choice you must take. So are you giving? And then are you helping? Are you helping? That means, do you help to equip, to respect, to supply those who minister the gospel? And are you being equipped? 
Are you being respected? Are you being supplied by other believers as well? That's what community does. That's the helping that's involved here. And so as we continue through chapter 16 and see these characteristics of community, I'm praying that God by His Spirit will convict me and encourage me and empower me as well as convict, encourage, and empower you to be followers of Jesus in community in this time and place where we so desperately need it. One of the greatest evidences and expressions of community is our union with Christ through the bread and the cup. And so I want to invite you now to participate in this aspect of our celebration together with communion. The uh, bread and the cup that I trust you picked up on the way in, and if not, feel free to go and to uh, get one of these cups now. Uh, we, with these very simple elements uh, brought together um, where each one holds these elements, we are able to individually but collectively express what Christ has done for us. And so I want to ask right now, if you are a follower of Jesus, you certainly are invited to partake of these elements together, but let us just take a few seconds of silence to confess, just between you and God, quietly in your heart, to confess ways in which you have fallen short, uh, ways in which you have disobeyed, rebelled, um, turned against what you know God wants for you. Confess those to the Lord right now and know and receive His forgiveness through the blood of Jesus because nothing can separate us from the love of God. He is willing and able to forgive us of every sin through the name of Jesus. So just let me give you a moment as I need to confess that sin right now. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks and praise for giving your all for us and for every one of us who names your name, however young or old we might be, whatever stage in life we are in, we just our hearts should overflow with gratitude because, Lord, we are not worthy and you have called us your own through the blood of Jesus, the worthy one. So now, Lord, we want to honor you and all that you've done, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for making our salvation possible and permanent through the sacrifice of the one Savior. Taking the bread, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, distributed to his disciples and said, as he says to us today, eat in remembrance of me. Let us eat. Then taking the cup, she said, was the new covenant of his blood spilled for the forgiveness of sin. Let us now drink it in remembrance of him.
Father, we thank you for your great love expressed to us in Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to come into this world to be obedient even to the point of death on the cross. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence with us now as we are joined together as one body, not simply in this room, but across this planet with brothers and sisters whom you've redeemed by your blood. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you join us as we sing together? Thank you. 
this benediction. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, may he comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work and word. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace. Struck down to find me a